It's time for the Brotherly Love Podcast. Keeping it real on the Philly sports scene since 2014. If anybody in their right mind is worried about Jalen Brunson translating the next level, then they didn't watch him play. I believe their team is destiny, man. I really do not think that they're going to be denied. Whether it's the fight Bills, the Birds, the Fly Guys, the Process, or a national headline, these two beauties are talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. Here's your host, Joe O'Donnell. Stop feeding John me to car bombs. Run the ball, control the clock, don't do anything stupid. And John Mita. Kids out there, make sure you practice your free throws. Dear God, give me an interview with the Eagle Scouting Department. I know I could be better. Yo, yo, yo. SoundCloud, iTunes. What's good? What's good? It is the Brotherly Love Podcast. Joe Donald, John Mita, as always, keeping it real. Apologize for the hiatus, but we're back at you, and we are, as always, goddammit, better than ever. Johnny Mita, what's up? How are you? Well, you know, Sunday started out a little rough. It worked out. worked out. It was a good day. It was a good day. Birds beat the G-Men, got themselves back in the thick of the race, and then Nova Nation recovered after... Uh, after a tough loss to Furman, they ended up winning the AdvoCare International um, Championship by beating Florida State, who was ranked number 14th in the country. And now the Cats are back in the top 25 at number 23. So, finally, some some good sports. Yeah, it was a <laughs> it was a rough uh, two weeks or so outside of the Sixers winning a couple games because your boy Jimmy Butler was coming through on the clutch. Jimmy Buckets, man. That guy's been unreal since he's arrived. It's been incredible. But there's a lot going on in Philadelphia sports, so we're glad we're, we're finally getting this podcast, our schedules. I was out of town for a little bit. I was in Florida, and it was just it was crazy. But there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, man. Well, a happy lot. Thanksgiving to you, belated, of course. And um, yeah, to all of our avid supporters we appreciate you checking us out on soundcloud and itunes the one and only brotherly love podcast follow us on twitter at beloved podcast got a locked and loaded edition for you we've got some flyers talk since they have certainly rocked the boat and shaken things up in the organization with the firing of executive vp and general manager ron hextall i don't know how many people saw that thing coming uh that move coming uh we'll talk about the birds obviously that you know the possibility of keeping their season on life support for another week or so the Philadelphia Phillies are about to uh, embark on a huge free agency period. And then we've got more drama in the Markel Fultz uh, saga. All right, well, let's uh, let's dive right into it. We're also going to have our first ever Damn That's Tacky segment. Johnny Mita bringing this t- to the table. We were talking right before we started the podcast. I think it's got some potential because of your ability to have things kind of great on you, uh, to get frustrated with humanity at times, and your ability to then express those frustrations. So I'm looking forward to, damn, that's tacky. Yeah, and, and the listeners, listen, if you tweet us or whatever, if you love podcasts, um, if you come up with some great, damn, that's tacky, we'll, uh, we'll read them on our next podcast. Cause I think this could be a hilarious addition to the show. I love it. I did Google search tacky, by the way, just to make sure I wasn't going to speak out of context. Uh, and it has That's not, hilarious. you know, the adjective is uh, retaining a slightly sticky feel, not fully dry. We all know that. But uh, right. when you when you dive into it a little bit more, the definition of tacky, entry two of two, according to Merriam-Webster, 
is not having or exhibiting good taste. So that's, I think, a, the more the direction we're, we're going with this segment. But uh, we'll get there in a couple of minutes. All right, um, look, I know we want to talk a lot about the Eagles, but I think, I think the biggest news in the city the last couple of days is the firing of Ron Hextall, the longtime Flyers yeah. goaltender, and I, I want to start there. And I know that you know the, the Flyers organization for a long time has been very loyal because of the late Ed Snyder. That was his M.O., and there's not, you can't fault loyalty in somebody. I think it's a great personality. At some, I guess at some point in everybody's life, you got to know when to cut the cord, from a loyalty standpoint, if things aren't going the way they were, you can't live in the past, I guess is the way to put it. And I'm not saying that you know Ron Hextall should or should not have been hired. That's not what I'm trying to say here at all. But my point is the Flyers organization has always been very loyal. And so to make a move like this, now granted Mr. Snyder has passed away, and it's sort of the Comcast board as well as Paul Holmgren that are tasked with you know, essentially making sure the ship is headed in the right direction as far as the Flyers go. And so the move to fire Ron Hextall is certainly surprising since he brought in Dave Hextall, the head coach, and a lot of people have had Hextall on the hot seat for a while, not so much Hextall. Um, and the reason a lot of people feel that way is usually it's the coach that goes first in sports. Now, I was always of the belief that Ron Hextall had a plan in place. It was a patient plan. He talked about it from day one when he was brought back from the LA Kings organization, that he was not going to rush things, that they were going to develop a farm system, and bring guys up, make sure they were ready, grow from within, and try and compete for the Stanley Cup. In three, four years, whatever it's been, that really hasn't happened. The Flyers fan base hasn't seen a whole lot of progress. With that said, Holmgren's statement the other day was very telling. And there's a lot of talk of a possible rift somewhere in the organization. The fact that Hextall maybe wasn't willing to change or to possibly take some advice on certain ways things should play out, and he got the axe. I guess my question for you, John Mita, before I dive more into this, and again, I've got to be careful here for a lot of reasons uh, with some of my opinions and comments on the situation since someday I'd like to work in the National Hockey League. Uh, You know, I guess for me, the question I'd pose to you is, how shocked were you? What do you make of all this? Well, I think the initial shock comes in is, okay, when you look at the structure like in when I'm when I refer to structure, I'm really talking about management and sports. Like usually the coach goes first and then it's the general manager. In this situation it was the general manager first, but still still the coach, Dave Hagsaw, he's kinda of in limbo right now. He's kinda of walking the plank, so to speak, or the lame duck coach so far. And it was just very interesting. I've heard a lot which it's hard to believe you know, how long Hexall's been here. It seems like he was just here, like he just got here about a year ago. Um, but it just seems like from everything that I read, he was like very authoritarian in his rule. He refused to listen um, to anyone else, anyone's ideas, anyone's thoughts. Very similar. It, it's, kind of, it's kind of crazy, but it's eerily similar um, to Chip Kelly and how he ran things and how people in the organization kind of didn't. So, I think what it really comes down to is the team wasn't producing. They haven't been playing well. They pretty pretty much haven't been playing their potential. Obviously, they have a lot of issues. Um, you know, goaltending being one of them, probably the most major issue, and just the other guys just not not playing up to speed. But I think the what happened was they were probably calling for Hextall to get rid of Hextall, and Hextall probably refused to fire the coach that he brought in. Um, you know, as, as some, I'm sure the average Flyers fans know, some other people might not know, but 
you know, Ron Hextall's kid played for Hextall. So he had great loyalty to him. Apparently, when the name dropped, when Joe Quinville, Joe Quinville got fired from the Chicago Blackhawks, that became the hot name. Some people think that maybe he would be the next one in line to take over the Flyers. So there's a lot going on. I think the thing is, in this day and age, right, I think the city, there's a lot of fan base, there's a lot of tickets that aren't being sold. There's really not much interest in the team right now. And I think, you know, the the powers that be, the hierarchy, the ownership just realize that, listen, there's besides Gritty, okay, Gritty, yeah, what's Gritty up to? What's Gritty up to these yeah, days? Uh, Gritty might be the next GM, but um, no, but it just it just seems like I think they were willing. I think it was like you know how the Sixers went through trust the process, and they took you know let's collect some good players, let's tank, let's get a couple good draft picks, and we'll fill in with some free agents later on, you know, and complete the whole deal. Hexall's plan, I think, just became too slow. You just didn't see the progression, right? So they just and they just didn't get the results they were looking for. And I think people were just like, "Listen." And there's other risks. I mean, I'm sure there might have been some people in the organization to really shake up the team. Like, listen, some people might want to trade for Warnchak, Giroux, and he just wasn't willing to pull the trigger on some things. He he just wants to continue to develop the process, which I have no problem with that, but. And there's also might be some riff is, you know, should they bring Carter Hart up, you know, the goaltender of the future? You know, Hexall kept saying, no, he's not ready, he's not ready. I mean, is that a point of contention? So I think it's a collection of a lot of things. Um, but And I think, honest to God, Dave Hexall, once they hire a new general manager, I, I think his days are numbered in Philly. And I don't even see him lasting two weeks. Uh, as of note, too, they already whacked. Ron Hextall's assistant, what is it, Chris Pryor? Yeah, Chris Pryor, who was kind of in charge of the scouting and the drafts the last few years. Right. He's gone, and then they fired right. an assistant coach as well. Gordon Murphy. Right. And here's the other thing what I found shocking, too, and just throw out another fact. And this, you know, like you mentioned before, too, like the loyalty of the Flyers. Like, I think it's time to, like, bring in a, a new regime, a new voice, I know being loyal to former players and have them work in the organization and, you know, who knows the Flyers mantra better than anybody. But at the same time, I think sometimes it just gets old. Uh, the message gets old. And I just think sometimes you just need to bring different people in and have some fresh ideas. And the head of their scouting department, their head scout, which I found incredibly shocking, which I did not know this until a couple of days ago, is Dave Brown. That's right, everyone. Dave Brown. He used to be one of the goons. So the goon is now the head of your scouting department, which is just mind-blowing to me because, like, now the game is just strictly built on speed. It's not an out-tough-you game. It's it's a very different game these days, and I found that very shocking. But, you know, let's see. I mean, what happens is, listen, in this business, if you don't produce results, people are going to get fired. And I think it was just – the plan was too slow. You know, it's the Flyers management or the owners, they're not going to look for a 10-year rebuild. Like, they'll give you three years, but you should be turning the ship in an upward direction. And since Hackstall has been the coach, there's another stat that I heard is that they have, like, over, like, since he's taken over, they have as many wins in the Metropolitan Division as the New York Islanders, which is not very good. Well, yeah, and, and again, the, the the development of the prospects, you just haven't seen it, okay? 
heard so much about all the defensemen. Hag. That's such a great point. Sanheim. Morin. You go right down the line, and these guys aren't making contributions at the National Hockey League level on a nightly basis. Again, I keep coming back to it with this team. Their defense is just below average. And you can't win in today's game with a defense that's below average. And then on top of that, suspect goaltending. And again, you feel for Brian Elliott. You feel for Michael Neuver. The two guys, they just can't stay healthy. Are they a decent one-two if they're healthy? Yes. Are they above average? Yes. Are they elite? No. So keeping pucks out of your net is always going to be a struggle. You can't outscore teams 5-4, 6-3, 7-5 every night. You can't. At some point, you have to be able to win the 2-1 hockey games when things tighten up as the year moves along. We're not even at that point in the season yet. Scoring is still up. Wait till things crunch down, you know, post-All-Star break, and everybody's committed to winning the damn cup. Then you're really going to find out just how bad this team is defensively. And there, there just hasn't been that progress. So I don't know if it's the minor league coaches. I don't know if they just didn't hit it off in the draft properly. But everybody seemed to think the Flyers had this great crop of young defensemen coming up and just wait a couple of years and then you're going to have four or six great homegrown defensemen. Where are they? Where are they in their development and their progress? It has not been the case so far. And so when that happens, then you almost have to go back and start from square one again. And so we'll see what they do here. Some names that have been thrown out there that everybody has seen. Ron Francis, uh, who's working for the Hurricanes for a while, Hockey Hall of Famer, one of the great all-time forwards in NHL history. Bill Zito, the assistant GM of the Columbus Blue Jackets, has been rumored for jobs for a while now. And then Chuck Fletcher, who was let go from the Minnesota Wild this past summer after leading the Wild to the playoffs in six straight years, which is something only like two or three other teams in the NHL have done, go to the playoffs the last six years. Uh, Minnesota obviously being one of them, Pittsburgh I think the other. So you've got a guy in Fletcher who has ties to the organization. Okay, He worked for Bob Clark when they were both with the Florida Panthers. All right, And Bob Clark has been seen around the building more lately. He knows Paul Holmgren. Holmgren's a, a Minnesota guy. Those two have crossed paths. I know it. And to some extent, you take the Shiro tie-in, right? Of course, you have Ray. You have the late Fred Shiro. Ray is now with the Devils. Okay, He hired Chuck Fletcher after Minnesota let him go to be a scout. I've seen Chuck Fletcher. You and I were talking the other day. Chuck came into the broadcast booth or the press box the other night in Des Moines hours after I saw he was rumored to possibly be the new Flyers GM. Did I have the stones to say anything? No way in hell. Just said hello to him, shook his hand, caught up with him for a minute, and I was all, I wanted to be like, shouldn't you be in Philly right now? So there are guys out there that have good pedigree. Fletcher's one of them, okay? He can get the job done. Bill Zito, an interesting name, sort of an up-and-comer. And then, of course, Ron Francis is the other name being rumored. I don't know what the Flyers' direction wants to be, though. This is a mid-season GM change. They don't happen that often. So the organization needs to decide, are we pumping the brakes on this thing and bringing a guy in that will get 50 games, 45 games of looking at this product and then be able to make assumptions? Because you don't want to bring in a stopgap. This isn't an interim coach. You're not bringing in an interim GM. You need somebody that's going to be able to put their eyes on this thing, trade deadline coming up, get ready for the draft then, and start to put their fingerprints on this team moving forward. It's not going to be an overnight process. Now, what Flyers fans need to realize, and I've been saying this for a while, this team's not going to win the Stanley Cup. So when that's not a reality, you have to look at getting better long-term. And that's what a new GM will do. And the people that think that Hackstall should, be, should have been fired too, that makes no sense. What are you going to do then? 
Obviously, you want your new GM to eventually pick your coach. You can't fire the coach. How are you going to play the games? You have to have a coach. So, Haxtell has to stay on board. New GM has to work with him for a while. Then it's the new GM's call. There is no other way around it. It doesn't make sense otherwise. And and maybe the new GM will like Dave Haxtell. Maybe Dave Haxtell is a good coach. And the reason I say it like that is because I've heard some of the things you've heard. And I've heard it from people that were in that facility, that were in the locker room, that Dave Haxtell was not making decisions. Ron Haxtell was making decisions. And making decisions on the lineup on a nightly basis. So take that for what it's worth. I'll call it unnamed sources. But I know people that were there, and Dave Haxtell didn't have much of a say from what I heard. So Ron Haxtell was making the calls on a lot of the stuff that Dave Haxtell was getting blamed for, allegedly. And so Ron Hextall goes first, Dave Hextall in limbo. We'll see how it all plays out. Um, obviously, the Flyers, a great organization, a great brand, but they've got to just kind of, I think, take a step back, take two steps back to eventually take two and three forward. And, and, and think about it. A couple of years from now, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, you know, the, the division's going to change. Things are going to change. There, there might not be a great opportunity to win the Stanley Cup now, there's a good opportunity to win the Stanley Cup three to five years down the line when some of the teams are starting to shift and some of those top-notch players, the Ovechkins, the Crosbys, are going to start to fade onto the backside of their career. That's when you want to pounce. You don't want to be trying to go against the Bear now when you're not ready. Get ready, and two to three years, start to make the progress, then you compete for the Stanley Cup. And this whole Carter Hart thing, I've said it before, he's not ready, okay? He's not going to be ready. Goaltenders need time. They need 100 games in the American Hockey League. Period. End of sentence. He's got to play at least two years in the AHL and get himself ready. And then you'll know two to three years from then if you actually have the goaltender of the future. All right? It's just, it's such an ebb and flow with that position. You've got to be smart with it. You can't rattle the kid. Let him get his time. Let him go through the bumps and bruises at the minor league level. And then he comes up to the NHL. So, be interested to see what the Flyers do. I'd love to see him hire a guy like Chuck Fletcher. I have a lot of respect for him. He's an honest man. He's a fair person. Uh, He's a really good family person. And I think he can get the job done. He values defense. I mean, look at Minnesota's defense. Look what they did the expansion draft. They traded Alex Tuck to protect their defensemen. They caught a lot of flack for that because Tuck now is making $6 million a year and was on a Las Vegas team that went to the finals and he was scoring big goals. But Minnesota protected their defensemen. They protected a guy like Matt Dumbo. Already has 10 goals this year from the blue line. He's on pace for 30-some. Not many guys in NHL history have done that. So Chuck Fletcher values defensemen. You look at Ron Francis. Obviously, he's got a great track record and pedigree. The Hurricanes are a team that he helped get back onto the right path. And then Bill Zito, as I mentioned, you know, has his fingerprints on Columbus. And they're a team that, with the help of a solid goaltender like Bobrovsky, have got much better over the last half, you know, half decade or so, three to four years. So... Uh, there's there are some names out there. I can't imagine the search is going to take too long, but if it does, you have Paul Holmgren to steady the ship, and he's been around the game for what four four decades. I mean, I think they'll be fine. They just again have to take a couple steps back to eventually take more forward and get back to a Stanley Cup contention level. Well, I mean, like it's funny you bring up Paul Holmgren thing, and honestly, God, I would like to see him get zipped out of there, just because I think you really need a new fresh start with like just everything. Right, but if he but but if he's a roles if he's a president, you know he's not sure he's at the top of the food chain, hiring and firing. But I don't know how much he's going to have say on day to day operations and roster moves and personnel. I don't. Every organization's different, right? Every organization's different. But 
you know, just because he's president doesn't mean necessarily that he's going to be in on the power play meetings and stuff like that. He's, I think he separates uh, church and state a little bit there. That would be my take. You got it. Well said, brother. All right, let's go to Great the National effort. Football League. Some team called the Philadelphia Eagles. I wrote them off a couple weeks ago before they got blown out by the Saints because that Dallas loss to me was devastating. I thought it cost them their season. If the Saints beat the Cowboys tomorrow night or by no, the time most... When? When? When the Saints when? beat the Cowboys tomorrow night by time most of you hear this podcast it'll be later on tonight and then an Eagles win Monday night football at home over the Washington Redskins would put everybody at six and six except for the Giants everybody in a virtual tie minus a couple tiebreakers and the birds would be right back in it so the question to you John Mita we're assuming the birds or the uh, cowgirls lose how do the Eagles get it done against the Saints Monday night how do the Eagles get it done against the Redskins? You mean? Oh, excuse me, Redskins. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. Um, no, well, I mean, here's the deal. It's, you know, Washington caught some tough luck when they lost Alex Smith for the season. Boo-hoo. It's not like you, I know. It's not <laughs> like he was lighting the world on fire, but he was managing. And now you bring a guy like Cole McCoy, who has some NFL experience, but he's been prone um, to turn the ball over. And finally, we finally, the Eagles got a turnover. Malcolm Jenkins' interception, which really, I think, ignited the defense into the second half, it was finally we get a turnover. But, no, I think, it, again, the crowd was rocking. Um, well, not early, <laughs> later. I think well, yeah, it looked like there were there were a lot of empty seats at kickoff, to be honest. Well, well, well. And then the crazy part is the game was kind of so uninteresting. They got the wave started. And then the wave was going around the entire stadium. And then the Eagles defense started making plays. It was very strange. It was a strange you know, and you look at what the Giants did in that game, the Pat Shermer. I mean, Saquon Barkley was destroying us, literally destroying us. And then the guy only touches the ball five times. But I think what we really need to look at is that the Giants only had 20 offensive plays in the second half. And what does that tell you when the other team only has 20 offensive plays? That means we're controlling the clock and controlling the football game. And how do you do that, Joe? How do you control the clock? And how it's a three-letter word, begins with R, ends with exactly. N. Exactly. Exactly. So finally, we got a huge dose of Josh Adams. He became the bell cow back, is the cliche terms they say. Um, it, it was just nice. You know, he got a 50-yard run taken back on the Jason Kelsey holding, which kind of sucks, but it was kind of right in the hole, evident and obvious. But it, it's just, I, I think... This time, actually, you know, and here's the other crazy thing, Joe. The run to pass ratio was 29 runs to 28 passes. When the Eagles have like rushed for over like 100, 100 yards or something, I think they're like five and one or something on the season. But again, it's just it, the other thing that's just mystifying to me, Joe. Is they they have to find a better way to get Golden Tate involved. And you know, what was a micro came out was like, you know, it's it's hard. What do you mean it's hard? You have a great weapon here. And then they run the same damn plays for him as if the defense didn't watch the film from the week before that they're going against. Again, the play calling is still something to be um, desired, but I think the Redskins are a wounded duck right now, and I think the Eagles will be able to pounce on them as long as, again, we don't turn the ball over. We establish a run game. And and let's let's start taking some shots down the field. Jesus. I don't know how many times you have to say it on the podcast. It's becoming very redundant. But who knows? We might get a pass interference call. Um, so it's just one of those things. I think 
the crazy thing is is the fact that they're going to be right back in the race because I, I believe the Eagles will handle business on Monday night, and I do believe the Saints will kick the tail off the Cowboys, which will be awesome to watch. If you're ever going to beat the Saints, that. though, it would be in your stadium on a short week, wouldn't it? And by controlling and by controlling the, the clock. But, but I, I think the Saints might be the best team in football, to be perfect. Well, that was honest. one of the things yeah, I was going to ask you. That was one of the questions I had yeah, for you. I know we didn't yeah, really plan I mean, for it, but who, who's the best team in the NFL right now? I think it's New Orleans. I mean, I know their defense isn't a juggernaut, but they still have, you know, good players at all three levels. Um, and I just – it's just that that offense, because they can run the ball so effective with Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram, like, they went down a wide receiver. They didn't even sign, you know, they signed Des Bryant. He blows out his Achilles. And with Michael Thomas and Kamar, they are just putting up prolific numbers. It doesn't matter whose defense you're going against. Like, even when they played the Rams earlier in the year, they were throwing up 40 points. So, again, it's just, and, and, and they're going to be playing on, like, a surface. It's similar to the, the surface they play in at home. Um, I just think, and I know the Cowboys have been very good this year, and their defense is a lot better than usual. But the one thing is the, the, the Saints have a very good run defense. And if they can find a way to just you know contain Ezekiel Elliott in that rushing game for Dallas, again, I think the Saints will be marching on. So, which then sets up the showdown and Big D the following week, which will be incredible because we owe them a little payback. That's for sure. Well, I'll add this. The front four for me on Monday night is is going to be the biggest key because, as we saw, the Eagles secondary banged up. They lost another body in the win. One of the Sullivans, I don't even know which one it was, for crying out loud. I'm, I'm sorry. I feel very disrespectful not knowing if it was uh, Chandon or Trey or any of the 19 Sullivans they had running around in the backfield. How about the fact the Eagles have recycled numbers? How about the fact that 41 used to be Ronald Darby is now being played by some guy they signed off the street. It's bad when you start recycling numbers on a football team. He doesn't even put his mouth. Oh, I, I, I so. I, oh my God, I can't stand it. Put the mouth guard in. First of all, oh, I was freaking out. I was freaking out watching the game because first of all, when you start running full speed, what's the mouth guard do, John Mita? Yeah, it just gets in your face like a pendulum. It's just going to be swatting all over your face mask. You turn for the ball at full speed, it might come up and block your eyes for a split second. Put the damn mouth guard in. That's it, and if you don't want it, or you don't want to attach it to your helmet, just put it on the side of your helmet or do something. But it can't help you. It's definitely not helping them see the football. Because the other thing, too, is Joe, that really bothers me with with these defensive packs, and I know, listen, they, honest to God, they did a pretty decent job. It's not like they were giving up 50-yard dashes to Odell Beckham. A part of that's the play calling on Pat Shermer's part, but I just I just don't understand why these guys don't turn around and look for the football. Even in the Saints game, the ball is literally buzzing over their helmet. If they just turn their head and locate the goddamn football, it might hit them. Okay, they <laughs> might they might hit. Them. They might make a play. They could get a finger on it. I mean, it just I, I just don't understand where the technique. As soon as they get beat. They're just in chase mode, and they never turn their head. Can the defense so pull it off? Can the defense on Monday night find a way to the Eagles, you know, to hold the Redskins under 24 points, under 30 points? No, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I okay. don't think the Redskins will score. 
Well, here's the other thing that people take note when it comes to the Reds. They lost two offensive linemen for this season, and they'll be without their third, their best offensive lineman, the big cat, Trey Williams. I think he's still out nursing some type of foot injury. So that means that they're down three offensive line starters. So the Eagles front four right. should get after That's it. what I'm saying. you got to shut down Adrian Peterson, and you have to make McCoy's life hell. You have to get after yeah. Colt McCoy because, yeah. you know, like Don't every quarterback, right? if you get after an average quarterback in the NFL, your chances of winning skyrocket. You give an average quarterback time with that secondary the Eagles are rolling out there, it, it could be a long night. The Redskins are going to be desperate, okay? They know what, what's at stake. They put in a lot of work over the first 10, 12 weeks to get where they're at. It's starting to slip away. They will realize that. And so to me, I come back to the front four. Stop Adrian Peterson, make McCoy's life hell. You have a chance to win the football game. Offense, hopefully, got some rhythm from that Giants game. We thought that the last time they put up good numbers against the Giants. Didn't really translate over the next few weeks. So this football game comes down front four, and then the game plan. Malcolm Jenkins saved the day against the Giants. That play was exactly what the Eagles needed. Eli being Eli, chucking up a duck. Malcolm read it, picked it off, saved points, changed the momentum of the game. Now, I also heard Jim Schwartz, some audio on his press conference. He gave Malcolm Jenkins credit for going to the coaches and changing the game plan essentially in-game, asking, begging Jim Schwartz to simplify things. So there was less communication for the young guys, for the banged-up secondary, the, the replacements, and they seemed to improve because of it. So Malcolm Jenkins, great leadership, playmaker, got it done. But again, to me, Monday night, the front four has to be stout. And how about this, John Mead? I'm going to throw this out there for you. How about, for the love of God, a trick play? When was the last time Poopy Peterson dropped his balls down on the turf and said, let's do this thing? <laughs> Let's see something out of the box. Special teams. You know, some type of double reverse. I don't care what it is. The Philly Philly 3.0. Give me something that sparks the crowd, that makes a chunk play, that gets things going. And don't lose sight of the running game. That's all I got for you. Well, I just want to run the ball in the first quarter on first down, for the love of God. Like, I just, the frustrating part is that, like, so Carson will make a throw, right? And they get a first down on like third and eight or third and 12. And they find, you know, and then they go right back to the pass. And he even said in his press conference, right? What is the quarterback's best run? The run game. And he reiterated that. Hopefully Doug got the memo. And let's just, let's just run the football. That's what made this team so successful. Now, granted, do we have the talent in the backfield that we had last year? The answer is absolutely not. But <laughs> yeah. we do have some people that can just, if you give them a chance, you know, get Corey Clement back in, you know, the past His game best game was Sunday. Ball. His best game in yeah, a absolutely. bunch of weeks anyway. So, no question. You know, but if, yeah. if they're going to be, if they, they can use those two, healthy. yeah, if they can use those yeah. two Adams and, and Clement in a change-up yeah. role, right? You give a drive yeah. to, to Corey, you give a drive to Adams. I mean, yeah. Like, why not? Why not see if this is the way to get the season back on track? Yeah. All right. Uh, yep. Let's jump to the Markel Fultz saga. Um, yeah. I'll be I'll be very quick on this here. Um, to me, if you're Elton Brand, if you're whoever's in charge, okay, because there's a lot that we don't know. Let's just be honest yeah. about it. There's something that's yeah. been said that went on that maybe the, even the Sixers don't know about. And again, if it's mental health, 
If it's anxiety, if it's confidence, if it's depression, if it's any of those things, medication, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bury the kid. All right. I'm gonna be very disappointed in the way this has played out and the softness that I've seen from Markel Fultz in this whole process. But if there's something there that's really wrong, then far be it for me to chirp the guy. But I'll say this somebody from the 76ers needs to go to Markel Fultz, look him right in the eyes, and say, Do you want to be here? Question mark. If so, you're the Sixers, you ride it out. Okay? If not, if the answer is no, I don't want to be here, I can't be here, it's not going to work out for whatever reason, then you've got to move on. you got to get a role player or a pick, and you have to move on. you got to cut, cut bait because you're not doing yourself any favors. You're just hog-tying, holding the organization hostage. You're not doing Fultz any favors for him to get his career potential on track. He's so young. You know, he just has never really gotten going in the National Basketball Association. So you look him in the eyes and forget the agent, forget the attorney, forget the doctors. You get Markel Fultz in a room, whoever's in charge of the Sixers. Do you want to be here? Yes or no? And then you make your move from there. I love that. And I think that is an open and honest way to go about it. And I I love that idea. Um, I've been a big proponent. I've been cheering for this kid. I've been in his corner the entire way. Everything when he was going through the gifts, I mean, I, I just wanted to see this guy succeed in Philadelphia. And being the number one overall draft pick, I think some people kind of lose sight of the type of pressure. The other thing is playing in this town. There's a lot of pressure to play here and to succeed here. And I agree with you. You've got to find out if you want to. To me, I think it's clear and honest. Um, once they made the trade for Jimmy Butler, he knew that his role was going to diminish. I don't know if that reactivated him being something mentally in his head where he just doesn't want to play for this organization anymore. But I think, unfortunately, I hate to say because I wanted him to be another missing piece of this so-called process, but I think it's time to cut ties. The trade that I threw out earlier was like Kyle Korver for Fultz straight up. Now, however, Kyle Korver did get traded tonight. He went to the Utah Jazz. But maybe you can trade him to the Phoenix Suns for a guy like Trevor Ariza. He'll give you some excellent defense, which I still think the Sixers are lacking a little bit of, and then also some some spot-up three-point shooting. Um, so I just think at this point, I think it's best if, if, if we just cut ties. I mean, I, I I was a huge fan. I mean, don't get me wrong. I never thought we'd be able to move up in the draft to, like, take this guy, but there was also a couple other players that I liked. I liked Aaron Fox a lot, and I liked Dennis Smith Jr. a lot. But – I just I think this kid needs a fresh start, and I don't think it's ever going to change. It's not going to help him, or it's not going to move the Sixers organization further until we cut bait. So, in my opinion, I'd probably be already on the phone and just take whatever you can get. I mean, the crazy part is this guy was number one overall draft pick, and there's no way you're going to get the type of return that you deserve for somebody taking right. first overall pick in an entire draft. And this is really this is uncharted waters, man. Even like a guy yeah, like even like like Greg Oden, at least like they were legit yeah. injuries and he never panned out. Right, yeah. I mean there's one thing I did hear and I'm still trying to get to the bottom of this and I don't know if I'll ever find the answer. But I hear the summer when he was drafted, I heard he got into a motorcycle accident down in Atlantic City. And that's how he banged up his shoulder. And then I think it was kept very hush-hush because the Sixers didn't want, you know, to sit another first, you know, first-round draft pick, have him miss some games in the season. And I think maybe he just never came back from that. So I, I don't know what's going on. It's just 
hard to believe that some guy could just lose that much confidence. I do think Brett Brown mishandled him a little bit, saying that he would start the kid and then sit him like in the second half. I don't think that was good for his confidence at all because if you're going to start him, at least play him a little bit in the second half so that he feels like the coach has Yeah, but everything we heard about him when he was drafted was Jim Rat, great kid, hardest worker. Where where is any of that? We haven't seen any of that. I know. So fight through the adversity. Like, I ripped Nelson Aguilar for sitting himself out. At least the next season, he came back and had his best year. Yeah. You know, now he's been MIA through chunks of this season, but last year we wouldn't have traded him for anything. I mean, this is is one of the greatest, like, the biggest bubbles in sports, man. It's like you've never seen anything like this. Only in Philly, bro. Only in Philly. Only in Philly. Well, here's the other deal, okay? Let's just look at all the organizations, right? Like, as a whole, the four for four. But none of these teams draft well, ever, usually, you know? I mean, don't get me wrong, we're going to beat in Simmons, great, beautiful. Yeah, but you can, how many how many of, of those can you butcher? Right, right, exactly. But when you're Throwing darts. A monkey could have thrown darts at a board with all those yeah, number one picks and landed a decent basketball later, team. Right, and even later rounds and everything else. And uh, it's it, it just, it just, you know, from the baseball you know, the Phillies taking Mickey, it's just at least just struck out. Oh, we're gonna have we're gonna have a Mickey Moniac reference. Ah, uh, yo, Mickey Moniac, that guy uh, stinks. Yeah. Mickey, hey, hey, Mickey, number one overall pick. Hey, Mickey. Oh, God. Anyway, all right, all right. Well, let's go to the Phillies. Let's wrap up the four four. Like when we touch all four sports on the Brotherly Love podcast. Where else are you gonna get yeah. this? Um, all right, the Phillies. Uh, to me, don't rush the process. I don't know why everybody is freaking out. And they're gonna. The Phillies are gonna drop seven hundred million dollars in free agency. I don't think the Phillies know what they have. I don't think the Phillies know what they have because last year they were winning when they weren't supposed to win. I said it before. They traded away. You know they got all these rental players as Drupal Cabrera and uh, the guy that doesn't wear batting gloves, Bohr, and they just went through this whole litany of like, oh, let's bring in a bat, let's bring in a bat, let's bring in a, and then. My boy Scotty Jetpack stopped getting time. Crawford was hurt half the year. They never got a chance to see these guys. Last season was supposed to be the season where all these guys came up. They got their first taste of the big leagues. You still have a mystery in Franco. And I know they have money to spend. I know they have more money to spend than anybody else like in the history of baseball. I don't know how this is possible, but the Phillies apparently are willing to dole it out. I just I, I fear for the old dream team 3.0 where you're going to sign all these guys and you're going to be stuck with these contracts down the line on aging players. So Patrick Corbin's at Citizens Bank Park getting the old tour and the old stroke. That's great. Bryce Harper, they're going to back up the Brinks truck. That's great. But to me, why are the Phillies rushing the process? I don't get it. They had a plan in place. They brought in their new GM. They have this coach that they, they believe in. Like, let's keep it all together and stay with the process to steal the Sixers' term. Yeah, I mean, it's... I know you disagree. I know you're with everybody else on WIP and the Fanatic. You want them to drop. You want them to bring in Machado. You want them to bring in Harper. You want the top arm. I get it. I get it. I won't be disappointed if they go that route. But to me, like, you have pieces in place and you don't know anything about them. Yeah, well, I just think... Answer it. Is is J.P. Crawford a major leaguer? Do you have the answer? I don't You don't know. Is Scotty King already going to be a major leaguer, an all-star? We don't know. The only That's thing true. we know is is Odubel well, Herrera. Hang on, is Odubel Herrera the three hundred, the three thirty hitter or the two twenty hitter? 
We we still don't know. We think we know for stretches. Franco, is he going to hit 30 bombs? No. Is Hoskins a left fielder or a first baseman? We don't know. We don't no. have the answer. The we, only we, thing that we, he... do, we do know that. He's a first baseman. Well, come on. You know if what I'm saying. We didn't take the plunder and sign Carlos Santana. No, I completely get it. My whole thing is it, it's obvious what position, what we need. Okay, first and foremost, we need another pitcher, like an ace type pitcher, to join the ranks. Yep. Agreed. So if you get two at the top, then you have Jake Arrieta be your third starter Ugh. and then you can shuffle uh, and you can shuffle two other dudes alright we do know that we also know that we need a type of power hitting outfielder because our outfielders are just a little TBD at the moment what about Aaron Altair what's that. his deal is he alive Nicky Dubs is he alive here's the other thing we also need we also need a closer and I know wait a minute a closer Sir Anthony Dominguez. You yeah. better talk. You better wow. talk to the analytics department about that, John Mita. Yeah. We don't well, believe in closers around here. There's been sprinkles of Craig Kimbrell. Maybe we get Robbie Cano and then the Diaz, Ugh. the closer from the Mariners. I love I it. Mean, you are knows. just you love you love. Do you just do you get updates? Do you get updates on your phone? MLB rumor mills. You no, just, I'm not. All, you're, I'm, you're I'm just, not all into You're just geeked out, right. huh? I love it. I'm so, no, I'm not geeked out on the. I'm geeked out about the Sixers. I'm really thinking this <laughs> Jimmy Butler move. But, no, I'm not geeked out. But I just – free agency in baseball, I just don't understand the process. We've had conversations. Like, you know, it opens, and then everyone drags their ass for months. And then people start to sign. It's just very different than other free agencies in major league sports. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. All right, we can wrap it up. Listen, yeah, I, I just – there, there's a lot of unknowns with the Philadelphia with the Philadelphia Phillies and bringing in a bunch of high powered superstars. I just hope that they mesh. That's that's the biggest thing for me. And some of these guys you don't know, you just don't know because we haven't seen enough of them. Are they legit? Are they ready? And and then you're going to bring in three more Carlos Santana type contracts, and then what? What if they don't pan out? What if two of them don't pan out? So the Phillies need defense because they were god awful last year. They need more speed. Yeah. They need more pop, and they need more pitching. And I don't know that you just sign three or four guys to a, a billion dollars worth of contracts, and all of a sudden, here we go, 110 wins. Let's do this. That's not how now, it works. But I think if you could get two pieces, let's just okay. say. But all that does is get everybody excited. It sells tickets. Does it win? Does it equate to wins? That's what you've well, that's got to you've got to balance. But that. that's the start of it, though. You look at the teams that have won, Joe. They have stars on their team. Well, I understand that. You and look, I mean? when the Phillies first got it rolling, they brought in Jim Tomey. They weren't ready to win, but they brought in Jim Tomey. Yeah. What to do? It sold out Citizens right. Bank well, Park. And the other thing is... But guess who, guess who won the World well, Series? You know this. It's the guys they brought up. The guys they drafted. It's I, the guys I, I, they I developed. You, but I totally agree with that. But the crop of guys that we've been developing, I don't know if they're going to be in the fold. Yeah, you know but I don't think anybody I, knows. But... Yeah, I know, but I don't disagree that like that signing to these guys to these prolific long term deals can't hamstring your you know, your organization for years to come. You know, the Alex Rodriguez deal in Texas, two hundred sixty million for ten. Well, you, know, you don't have to look any further than the eventual Howard Ryan Howard Bowl. extension. Well, right, and that you know? I mean he, he got injured. I understand, but at some point yeah. no, he I wasn't he was his play was not going to match the contract and and no, if you're gonna if you're gonna win a bidding war against the New York Yankees, you're gonna yeah. win a bidding war against the New York Yankees by overspending. 
And that concerns me. That gets everybody excited now, but does it equal yeah. 100 wins? And if it doesn't equal 100 wins, you're wasting your time. All right, man, that's tacky. What do you got? Well, actually, let me start because mine aren't nearly as good as yours. All right? All right, go ahead. Uh, man, that's tacky goes to Demarius Randall, the Cleveland Browns. He's the guy that went to the sideline after an interception and handed the football to his former head coach and now Bengals, I guess, assistant, special assistant, in Hugh Jackson. So poor Hugh, not only embarrassed that he can't coach to save his life, Randall gave him the ball on the sideline. Hugh gave him this little pat on the arm when he probably wanted to sucker him in the teeth. And to me, that was very tacky of Demarius Randall. Man, that's tacky. That was beautifully done. So I have one on sports. It's Vontae Davis, just to give people some background. So he's the guy that quit on this football team. He was playing for the Buffalo Bills, and then at halftime just decided to leave his team. So all of a sudden he's in this suit, he's in this commercial, and he just starts saying, like, I decided to leave because I didn't have it anymore. And he goes through this heartwarming story, and you're like, holy crap. You're like, wow, like, oh, my God. Like, well, now he's coming out, at least he's kind of owning up to what the hell he did. And then all of a sudden it turns into a fantasy fantasy football commercial. I'm sure his former teammates want to throw blow darts in his direction. So, damn, Vontae Davis, that was tacky as hell, and that commercial should be taken off the air. So, I know, and especially to make, to make to be on the money grab right after he just quit on his team. Exactly, exactly. I got some other ones. These are human real-life examples, right? So I get on an airplane, I'm flying home. The guy in the middle seat, older gentleman, probably in his late 60s, He's got his black gold toed socks off, feet, he's airing his feet out as I try to take my seat in the aisle. Man, that is tacky. Keep your socks and your shoes on. On the airplane. Come on. Well, that's I know. Especially, I mean, the, the shoes are bad enough, but the double dip then yeah, to get the, the shoes, socks going, that's the atrocious. Dip and take their socks off? That is horrendous. Then I'm in the public supermarket. Down First of all, hang on. Let's go back for a second. Who the hell wants their feet on the airplane carpet? I hear you. I hear you. I mean, forget, forget, forget grossing out everybody else on the plane. Just the yeah. fact that you you had, like, your brain thought, this isn't bad. Yeah, yeah. So then I'm in the Publix, right? I'm, I'm buying something at the supermarket of Florida. This guy has a, a, a medium cylinder of mashed potatoes from the hot bar, and he incinerates three quarters of it, and then he gives it to him the way out and pay for it. Essentially, the guy was stealing. Man, that was tacky as hell. I couldn't even believe so he, it. So he and basically paid for like a quarter of what he what he actually yeah, should have purchased? What he, consumed, like what he consumed from the hot bar line all the way in the line where he's waiting to pay. It was unreal. It was unreal. It's like these people that go in the supermarket and they're like open up the peanuts and they should be banging them up and they're just picking at them. It's just ridiculous. Anyway, the other one, the last one I'll leave you with, and this is just crazy, is yesterday I'm in the supermarket. I get home from Florida. It was an up-and-down trip. I come back, picking up a few items. I'm in the express line, and this guy has a file folder wallet like a man purse, and he's got the coupons in there. And in the express item lane, he's pulling out all these damn coupons. I'm like, <laughs> dude, are you kidding me? Get out of line with Coupons. Go to the regular line. Man, that is tacky as hell. <laughs> well done, Johnny right. Mita. Well done. Uh, By the way, uh, right. big, uh, big ups to Nigel Bradham, who broke his hand in three places, broke his thumb in three places against the Giants. Yeah. 
had a bunch of screws put in. He said he's playing Monday night against the Skins. He will now become the new clubber lad. <laughs> Love it. All right, Johnny, made a good stuff, brother. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Yeah, as always, thanks for everyone listening. SoundCloud, iTunes, we love you. Follow us on Twitter at Love Podcast. Spread the love. We're almost at 10,000 clicks on SoundCloud. Holla at your boy. Go, Birds. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe this season can be more than on life support. Maybe they can save the season Monday night against the Skins. John Amita, have a good week, brother. Make it loud the link on Monday. No doubt. Go, Birds. Till next time, Brotherly Love Podcast. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com. 